Welcome to the Voice of Family Business on Capitol Hill, where we talk about the issues facing families and their businesses. It's great to have you here for this episode. With each podcast from Family Enterprise USA, we bring you the latest news, expert opinions, and insights affecting the country's largest employer, the American family business. This podcast is sponsored by Arbach Commercial Realty Corporation, which is proud to support America's family businesses and family offices. If you like our show, please remember to subscribe and sign up for our alerts as future shows are posted wherever you download your podcasts. And now, here's Pat. Welcome to our first podcast. I'm Pat Soldano, President of Family Enterprise USA and Policy and Taxation Group. We advocate for family businesses and family offices around the country, big and small, and all industries. Today, we are here with my very good friend, Dr. Frank Luntz. You may all know Frank from his many appearances on network news and entertainment shows from Stephen Colbert to Fox News to Bill Maurer. You may know him from articles he's written on politics, his messaging for candidates and policy issues, and his views on what shapes America. Frank is a political researcher, strategist, messaging expert, and he received his doctorate from Trinity College, Oxford, where others, like former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, went on to great political fame and fortune. Frank, it's a great pleasure to have you on our very first podcast. Thank you so much. Well, it's an honor to do it. We've got a lot to talk about. We're recording this just 100 days from, actually, it's now about 90 days from one of the most consequential midterm elections that I can remember in my career. So uh, it's a pleasure to participate in this with you. So let's get into that. Um, We do have these coming midterms and the political landscape as it stands today. And I'd like to talk a little bit about your method of messaging. You are quite famous, as I well know, for developing unique messages that can dramatically change the course of policy issues. So whether it's renaming the estate tax as death tax or global warming as climate change, you have said you use other people's words to rebrand issues. So so tell me how that works. Well, I'm doing it right now. And it's something that happens to me and I'm just wired this way, that I may not always be able to pronounce the words. I may get hung up uh, with a spoken word, but somehow my brain analyzes everything and my eyes see everything. And this is a great example. And I'm not sure if this was in the movie called Veep. It was about uh, Dick Cheney. But one of my bigger, and I got in a lot of, a lot of people love it. A lot of people hate it. One of the best discoveries of language was that everyone was talking about government control of healthcare, government control, government control. And I knew that there was a better way to do it. And I'm in the middle of a focus group. There are about 25 people sitting in front of me, and I'm engaged in this conversation. And a woman in the front row stops me and says, wait a minute, what you're describing isn't government control. It's a government takeover of healthcare." And I'm like, oh, okay. So I look around the room and I see people nodding up and down. So I said, hold on. Why do you say government takeover? She explains it. And then I say to the group, which bothers you more? Government control, government takeover. 22 to 3, government takeover. That is how Obamacare became the government takeover of healthcare. Uh, another example is because I do this away from politics is the difference between sparkling and carbonated. What we learned in research in Europe is that sparkling is a fun um, taste. It's a celebration. It's 
it, it feels cool on the tongue. Carbonation is a chemical or it's something that's injected into the beverage. Sparkling is a positive. Carbonation is a negative. And that's how in Europe, we changed the number of soft drinks from carbonated beverages to sparkling beverages. Well, so to that point, politicians today are grappling with some situations like inflation, like abortion, I hate the word like inflation. an election denial. An How are you helping them to message those things? I, it, I, I apologize for interrupting you, but the word inflation. So to explain what, what a geek I truly am, at the beginning of this, I used to go into the Rouse and the Whole Foods. And I can't say I've done it in every city, but I've done it in three or four cities, Safeways, uh, Trader Joe's. And I will start in the fruits and vegetables, which I think is appropriate because we're talking about politics. And I'll follow people around and I'll listen to their conversation. I've had a couple of situations where I've, people walk over to me and say, what are you doing? You're following me. You're listening to me. And I said, you know what? I am. I'm a pollster. You can Google me. You can look me up. I want to hear your language. I want to hear what you're saying about the prices. I'm watching you. You, you returned a package of beef. Why? She didn't say it was because of inflation. She said, I can't afford it. It's too expensive. I'm watching parents tell their kids, return that ice cream. We can afford one box, not two. We know that 52% of Americans don't fill up their gas tank because they can't afford to pay for an entire tank full of, of energy, of oil, of gas. So my process in this, and inflation is a great word, it is not inflation. No, no person says, oh my God, look at that inflation. They do say, I can't afford it. They do say, what the hell is going on with these prices? They do say the costs keep going up, but they don't use the word inflation. So my job is to explain to the politicians that I like to stop using a word that they use at MIT and Harvard Business School and the University of Chicago and start using language that the average person uses. Another example, because they got crime exploding all over the country, crime is by definition a failure. Public safety is by definition a success. So if you want to beat the people in power, you criticize them for crime. If you want to be the people in power, you talk about public safety. My job is to figure out each word, each phrase, each sentence. What are the proof points? How do you begin it? How do you end it? How do you personalize and individualize it? And then share it with politicians who are historically awful communicators. I will tell you, Pat, that I have a pretty good success rate in business. Maybe 85% of my clients use 85% of my recommendations. So that's about two thirds of the time. In politics, quite bluntly, about 50% of the politicians use my recommendations about 25% of the time. So my hit rate stinks. But that's because either they think they know better or because they think they're saying it correctly and they aren't, or because people are telling them they're great and they really aren't. So, uh, and, and never ever has language mattered more than right now. Joe Biden's saying we've got a zero three times in a 12 second soundbite, three times he said zero inflation. What the hell? Has he been shopping? Obviously not. Has he filled up his, his car with gas? Clearly not. And then he tries to redefine what a recession is. Every person listening to me who took Econ One knows it's two straight quarters of declining growth. It's a definition. We may say it's a, it's a, uh, a jobless recession, or we may say it's a minor recession, but by definition, it's a recession. And I just hate it when elected officials try to 
try to be me. Their job is to be straightforward. Their job is to be clear and concise and consistent. And their job is to be honest with the American people. I'm the language guy. That's my job is to figure out how best to communicate it. Their job is to tell us the truth. And it's very frustrating because increasingly they aren't. Well, and Frank, I've seen it uh, in real life doing meetings with you, with members of Congress. They listen to you. They all want to know your information. They all want to see the statistics in the PowerPoint. And they nod their head and they say yes. And then they, to your point, I see them on the news and they're doing the opposite. So I'm actually surprised that you think it's 25 plus percent, maybe 30 percent of them actually pay attention because it is discouraging, you know, and I know why you get discouraged at times. So what are these other phrases? Inflation clearly is one that is very difficult in today's environment. What are some of the other issues that you're trying to develop messages around? I, I'm, a, for, I'm lucky that I've been able to develop messaging around the things I care about. So I'll give you an example. I think we need more government accountability, but that requires removing the word transparency from the lexicon. Nobody can define it. Nobody knows exactly what it is, but everyone knows what accountability is, and it has two-to-one support. In some cases, I'm trying to add words into the lexicon. For example, peace of mind. Politicians like to talk about security, but with security, it means that there's a threat. It means that you need a dog or a gun or a fence or something's wrong that you need security. Peace of mind is a higher value. With peace of mind, you can literally close your eyes and float away knowing that things will work out. And the most powerful word of all is the word imagine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question, which is probably strange for a podcast, the interviewee asking the interviewer. But Pat, I want you to, de- to describe life at perfection in a sentence. What is to you, in your mind, what is life at perfection? Living life with passion and purpose. And to me, it's everyone gets to live their life the way they want. So it's in the same family, it's in the ballpark. But when you ask people to imagine that, whatever they imagine is correct because they're painting a picture in their own head. And that's what the word imagine does. Imagine what it means to be able to hold politicians accountable. By the way, the number one imagination of that is them being let off in handcuffs to jail. And the number two is them being choked, which may have happened in Washington back on the 6th of January. We don't know. But that word imagine is so powerful. And, And I'll give you an example of what politicians need to prove is that they made a meaningful measure. They have a track record of meaning, measurable, measurable, impactful results for the people they serve. Meaning track record, which means it happens at good times and bad. Meaningful, so it's significant. Measurable, so you can actually hold them accountable. So there's a number involved. Impact, so you made a difference. And the people you serve is about humility. And the word results is what we're all looking for. We're tired of talk. So this stuff works for this for what you're trying to do. Even your organization, you talk about family businesses. It's much more powerful than small businesses. Small businesses, the public supports and the public feels positive towards. But a family business is often multi-generational. And that to so many people is the American dream. The idea that one generation can work incredibly hard, be incredibly creative, and then pass it down to the next generation that could build it even further. I know my dad wanted me to be a dentist. I know he was desperate to give me his practice. I had no interest in it. But my father had done that with his father. I'd gone into his practice. The idea of family business is part of who we are as Americans. 
And it's the thing that we need to need to defend because so often in Washington, they get so out of touch with Main Street because all they hear, hear from is Wall Street. And you do it every day by reminding people of the benefits and the value and the essential nature of what a family business is. So um, that's another reason why I wanted to do this conversation. Thank you for that. And it's these families that are doing these videos that you suggested I do. We have one again next week. We've been recording as many as possible so that we can get these family business creators' stories out there so the voters can see that being successful is a good thing. Um, and wow. so when... Let me make an offer to you, which is I've got 330,000 Twitter followers. Start to send me those videos and I'll start to send them out. I'm glad that people follow me on Twitter. I don't like the vehicle and I don't believe you can say what you need to say in 140 or in my case, they give me 280 characters. I think that these issues are more substantial. They require more discussion. They're not black and white. But the fact that I do have so many people following me I want to deliver that message that family businesses matter to the American economy. They matter to the fabric of the country, and they're essential in community communities all across the country. And what a great way to be able to deliver that message than to have these short videos that I can send out to people to take a look. Well, I absolutely do that. And you and I learned last August when we did this voter poll that 62% of the voters understand generationally owned family business. That is the, the term they chose over small business or family business, generationally owned, because they understand that's going to mean they're going to have a job for generations. And so to your point, I think it's, it's really, really important that people understand not just small business, but family business is all sizes and all industries of business. And so when we talk about family businesses, you know, because you and I've worked on this issue for over 25 years, one of the most important issues to them is the debt tax or estate tax, because it doesn't affect companies. It affects individuals. It doesn't affect corporate America, public companies. It only affects families and family businesses. So we coined it back then, you coined it, death tax. And so I have to ask you, that was in 1996, Frank. Today, do you feel that that's still the way we should be messaging the estate tax? Is death tax, do you have any new thoughts around it? I do. Things changed a lot since we developed that messaging in the 1990s. And it reached the point when the public was just so fed up with government, and I use this word deliberately confiscating businesses through irresponsible tax policy. And so it was no longer necessary for a short amount of time to use language like the death tax. But in the end, when people hear the word estate, they still think wealth. When they hear the word death tax, they think you're taxed simply because a family member died. And they believe that that is literally a tax on the American dream. So I'm still an advocate for using it. I'm proud to say that virtually every Republican and uh, some Democrats use that language as well. Uh, and it does highlight the fact that death is the worst time in the worst way to ask people to pay up and that these individuals who are affected are almost, almost always pillars of the community, uh, major donors for things that are happening in their locality, in their state, or even across the country. 
and the idea that you have to put your estate in order at this moment, at that moment, particularly when it often happens by surprise, uh, the public just says this is ridiculous. Now, they do believe that taxes may need to go up, and they do believe that corporations need to pay more, but they do not focus their attack or their attention on individuals who have simply proven that success has its rewards. Pat, it's a tax on success, and that's why it shouldn't be happening. Well, we better switch to politics because I can't end this podcast without asking you about the midterm elections because everybody's going to expect me to do that. So so give us your sense of today, You know, where do you see the midterm elections coming out in terms of both the House and the Senate? I see it as a divided outcome. And I see it as a divided outcome, not because the Democrats are doing particularly well in the Senate, but that the Republicans are doing particularly badly. Even with this trend towards the Republicans, which is not as wide today as it was, say, 60 days ago, not only would I be shocked, I'm prepared to bet and give five to one odds that Republicans win the majority in the House. But I don't see that in the Senate, that Republicans across the country have been nominating candidates that are less likely to defeat their Democratic opponents, even with Joe Biden's favorability in the uh, upper 30s. And by the way, the key number there is 45%. If you've got a president who is favorability in the first midterm is below 45%, you're looking at a significant wave. I don't think it's going to happen for the GOP in the Senate. I do think it happens in the House. And I always try to give races, particularly in the Senate, uh, for people to track. So my recommendation is look at, follow the polling in, um, as I think of this, follow the polling in Georgia, because that state swung heavily Democratic. And I think that whoever wins the governorship in the Senate, that's going to be a good bellwether. Follow the polling in Arizona. That is another state that was once very Republican and has now gone purple. Those are the two states that I'm watching most to help me determine. They both got governorships. They both both got Senate races. And those are the states that I'm watching most closely to figure out where things are headed. Another thing about Arizona, same thing with Nevada. A lot of people weren't born there. So you're getting a chance to get a more national feel, even though it's a small state. But Pat, uh, even though inflation still is at 8.5%, even though gas prices are higher than at any time they've been since March, although they've come down slightly uh, over the past few weeks, even though we have a surge in crime and chaos at the border, in the end, candidates matter. And I believe the Democrats have better candidates on the Senate side and Republicans have better candidates on the House side. That is really interesting. Well, Frank, I know that you have a very busy schedule and you do a lot of traveling, but I also know that you work on various issues and you're an incredibly passionate American. So I want to give you the opportunity to tell us what are you working on that's important to you? I know all the things you work on are important, but what is it that's that's kind of burning in you right now that you are spending a lot of time on? So Pat and I know each other pretty well, but if you're listening to this, I didn't read the, she sent me a list of questions. I read the first page. I didn't read anything else because I don't. So I did not know this was coming and she does not know what the answer is going to be. A year ago, it was to get people vaccinated. I was so frustrated. I was so proud of this country for being able to get a COVID vaccine faster than anybody else. Not one, not two, but three vaccines. 
faster than any other country. It was so impressive. And then get them produced and get them into people's arms. And it was so frustrating to me that so many Americans refused and still refused to get vaccinated. That was my passion project because I wanted to save lives. My own health isn't that great and it's my own fault. So I'm trying to learn from my own lessons to ensure that people don't make the same mistakes that they take their health seriously. Right now, my passion is democracy because I'm afraid of where we are as a country. I am scared out of my mind where we are as a country. And this interview is being recorded five days after the search of Mar-a-Lago, or maybe it's six days. And we are more, more divided now than we've ever been. We believe the other side is evil. We condemn them for how they behave. And I'm working on a number of projects to find common ground, to try to restore a sense of civility and decency uh, with each other, to promote civics among young people, uh, to focus. We have so much money now flooding the education system. There is no excuse for having an education, for not having the best teachers, paying them well, uh, upgrading the technology. And I believe that the, the two great challenges in this country that I'm working on, one of them is education, the other is democracy, and they're both directly connected. We fix our education system and we will have a healthier democracy. If we allow our kids to graduate without knowing who the vice president is, without knowing who ran for president in 2020, uh, without understanding the electoral college or what it takes to, to register to vote, that we're doomed. And we may be doomed anyway thanks to social media and other aspects of, of American society. But uh, I'm going to give it a fighting chance. And, um, and I hope people will follow because I'm going to start to release what we are finding in recommendations on Twitter in the weeks to follow. But education and democracy are where my heart and where my head are both at right now. And I know you well enough to know that you will continue to work very hard on those things. And like I feel the same way as you do, is that you get so discouraged, but you just can't help it. You've got to just keep moving forward. You have to work on them because this is the greatest country in the world. And we want to keep it that way. So I really want to thank you, Frank. It's been a pleasure having you on this program our very first podcast. As always, it's been a fascinating conversation. Our family businesses and our family offices have learned a lot. Uh, and we look forward to seeing you on television all over the world, all the, all the channels. And we really appreciate you being on the program again, and, and we hope to have you back. So thanks so much. And everybody remember, as Pat pointed out so correctly, it's generational, not just family, but it's generationally owned family businesses. Pat, thanks for having me on. Welcome. Thanks for being on. Appreciate it, Frank. So to all of our listeners, we hope that you subscribe to our podcast, uh, where each episode discusses in depth the critical issues that affect multifamily, generationally owned family businesses. You can find this podcast wherever you download your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to this week's Family Enterprise USA podcast, sponsored by Arbach Commercial Realty Corporation. This is the only show devoted exclusively to the critical issues facing America's family businesses, the families that own them, and family offices. We hope you like this week's show. Please make sure to subscribe and tell others about our podcast. Your voice in Washington, D.C. and throughout the country can make a difference. We look forward to having you with us next time.